This episode of the Kyle Style Podcast was brought to you by Free Speech. Ask your doctor about free speech. Free speech has been shown to expand awareness, expose flaws in your own arguments, and challenge authoritarian narratives. Side effects may include being offended, insulted, reading or hearing lies, and mindless drivel, and in extreme cases, be proven to be completely wrong. If you have pre-existing condition of non-confrontationalism, unreasonable narrative preference, ignorance of facts, statistics, history, or logical argument, or just being an easily offended pussy, free speech may not be right for you. Free speech is a derivative of free thought, which has been shown to cause political, religious, and scientific revolutions. We're in the midst of a culture war, ladies and gentlemen. I imagine this war has always been raging, but uh, it's taken on some new dynamics in the last, uh, well, shit, 100 years, 10 years, <laughs> 2 years. It has new vectors and new fronts in this battlefield, and there are new players. I mean, every generation has new players, but we're, we're, we have different voices that we can refer to in this culture war. Now, you're like, Kyle, what's a culture war? Well, what's culture? Sort of a denotative definition. Culture is the arts and other manifestations of human intellectual achievement regarded collectively. So that's, you know, general, broad American culture. We tend to speak English. We tend to believe in the Constitution. We tend to... Uh, well, apparently, we kind of tend to own guns, we tend to drive cars, we uh, tend to, I guess, like rock and hip-hop, you know, we're not uh, as big on the uh, Indian tabla music, you know, we have an addiction to technology, etc., etc., like all these things that you think of as, like, say, American culture, right? Now, there's also, then, in that, all of the fields of human endeavor, Right, arts, science, philosophy, politics, economics, uh, even your, you know, again, art like architecture, and what your cultural goals are. Right, in one period in time, the United States was uh, all about manifest destiny. At least that's the meme we have today. Manifest destiny. We were going to expand all the way across the continent. Well, we did that. At one time, we said we were going to, uh, you know, we were going to defeat the Nazis and the Japanese, and our whole kind of society geared up to uh, confront that endeavor, right? At one time, then later, we said we we're going to go to the moon, and there was massive interest in this and support, and money flowed, and attention flowed, and we went to the moon. But this culture war isn't just about broad exploration. It's not about, uh, you know, new technologies. It exists in our own perceptions and in, I guess, the perception of our neighbors, how we perceive our fellow citizens, how our fellow citizens perceive us, and what direction do we go in now? What are we, you know, again, it's kind of broad, but why are we here and what are we doing? A lot of those answers come from culture. Now, a culture war is a battle of these conflicting viewpoints, these conflicting aims, these uh, conflicting, oftentimes, theories, right? Economic theories, political theories, etc. Now, I might be getting a little out of my depth here talking about this stuff. Um, 
I've done a bit of research, but this stuff gets really complicated. It goes a whole bunch of different directions. And this culture war isn't clear-cut. It's more of a, it's not a World War One or like a Civil War type battlefield where you have one side on one side and you have another group on the other side and there's this no man's land in the middle and you all the alliances and allegiances are very clear. It's more like a giant melee of different sized guerrilla units who upon almost like a gang culture kind of thing depending on what is happening at any given time uh, there can be individuals in these groups who are cool with other groups but they still go with one group you might have entire groups that kind of click up and form a you know a shifting alliance or a temporary alliance with another group and so you might have uh you know you might have muslims being in agreement with evangelical christians about a specific issue you might have uh, pro uh, pro marijuana legalization people being in league with Second Amendment advocates because they both are talking about uh, individual liberties. You might have you know veterans who are against the war linking up with hippies who are against the war, right? You saw this in Vietnam or in the Vietnam era. So in the modern era, this is. Um, it goes a lot of different directions, but you have these conflicting alliances, temporary alliances, alliances of convenience, uh, unholy alliances that almost maybe don't even make sense, but everybody is looking for aid in this culture war. And the thing that unites all of them is a bedrock of common values that they can unite on, We with these different tribes, can unite based on basic uh, bedrock ideals or values and that's how these alliances are formed and what are they united against well it depends on the group you know you might have you know you would have maybe black lives matter as an organization linking up with i don't know uh the black panthers they might have certain things that they don't have in common but they have certain other things in common right um there is what i what i intend to talk about in this in this uh, episode though is more the side that i'm finding myself on which is basically being opposed to identity politics which uh identity politics is <clears throat> a tendency for people of a particular religion race social background etc to form exclusive political alliances moving away from traditional broad-based party politics so in a sense, this is choosing to work for a specific goal for your demographic, whichever demographic you happen to identify with, and saying, no, free speech, you know, this is an extreme example. No, freedom of speech isn't good when people use it to say bad things about me, right? Um, Black Lives Matter is saying bad things about white people, and I don't want them to do that. This kind of is the kind of childish um, short-sightedness that then seeks to engage with politics and government and drive it one way or another based on possibly a minority position, possibly uh, a, a 
you know, it'd be like if white supremacists took over the government, right? You wouldn't you wouldn't like that either. And then they would want to stamp out everything that's, you know, that's not white. That would be basically identity politics, right? Uh we we don't we don't like that, okay? Your your government is supposed to embody a higher sort of ideal, a set of values that isn't determined by these other factors, race, religion, culture like a, you know, ethnic background, that kind of thing. Another facet in this is a uh, is a broadly known thing, which is the political correctness. Uh, not to be confused with cultural awareness or etiquette, right? Just not being an asshole. Uh, that's an important aspect of it. But political correctness has become this uh, this sort of tool even that's used. The political correctness, the avoidance often considered as taken to extremes of forms of expression or action that are perceived to exclude, marginalize, or insult groups of people who are socially disadvantaged or discriminated against. This, in theory, would seem to be a good thing. You go, oh, these people you know, are suffering, so let's not pick on them further with speech. But that's not really how it has come to be applied oftentimes. In some sense, not swearing on television is a form of political correctness. It would be offensive to the more conservative types, socially conservative types, and they don't want to see that. So let's not offend them by having swearing on TV. Meanwhile, in real life, people are swearing all the time, thus turning television into this like weird space where people don't say off-color things. Um, but political correctness has become... has come to be wielded against people depending on how you say it, how you, how you say things. Uh, if you don't use whatever the most uh, sort of, I'm not sure how this has arrived at, but you can't, you can't call transgenders, tran transgender people trannies, okay? It, this gets semantical. Uh, if you, as Joe Rogan points out, if you can call a cab driver a cabbie, you should be able to call a trans person a tranny. It's not necessarily a, a diminutive or uh, insulting. It's just an abbreviation. But that's just a sort of a, a small example. Um, here's another one that's interesting. You, There's this new sort of term going around that is, I guess it's not new, but it's resurged, which is people of color. I feel like that was an older term that's been revived. So people of color is basically everybody who's not white, right? Whatever white means, right? Uh, you can talk to different white people and get different answers about that. But people of color is all people who are not white. Now, you're not supposed to say colored person, right? Colored person is an insult, apparently, is offensive, but not people of color. Okay, that's uh, a bit semantical, but all right. And at the same time, you have things like the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. Hmm. Okay, so it's it's okay in that context, but then not in other contexts. It's just, you know, and then to say people of color are all the same is also ham-fisted. Like, you know, Japanese people are the same as American black people are the same as Indian people. Uh, you know, dot, not feather. Or, well, both, dots and feathers. That, that they're all the same thing, and they all have the same relationship with uh, white, uh, well, 
global white supremacy. There's a good term people throw around. Global white supremacy. But anyway, I'm rambling. I'm sorry. I'm trying to stick on track here. So, you know, identity politics, political correctness, certain levels of revisionist history. Now, sometimes you do need to revisit history because you're like, well, at the time, this historian was, you know, on the losing side of the war. So he didn't really have anything nice to say about the other side. So we find some other piece of, you know, information from the other side of the conflict. And now you get a broader view of it and you go, oh, well, this side really did start the war. And that's why, you know, this other side went to war with them and beat them. That changes history when you have new information, right? When you have new information, you do need to revisit history. But that's not really exactly what's happening. What's happening is people taking historical periods out of context, uh, taking liberties with historical you know, innovations and, uh, and eras, if you, and, and framing them a certain way. On the one hand... You could view, say, the Lewis and Clark exploration of the western United States, the Louisiana Purchase, as the tip of the spear of uh, western, you know, Anglo uh, domination over North America, and that they were on a, a journey of, dis of conquering and empire to subdue all of the native peoples, and the goal was genocide and you know, destroying the environment and perpetuating the Industrial Revolution across a vast swath of the earth. Or you could view it as people not knowing what's in that in that massive landmass and going into it, quite likely unprepared, wanting to know what's there. Maybe there are maybe there are other like native civilizations in there. Maybe there's immense wealth. Maybe there's a golden city. Who knows? You just gotta go see it. And they did. And their journey wasn't one of we wanna kill everybody, it was find out what's here. Now the whole rest of our history, in the United States at least, is uh not as uh not necessarily as noble, not necessarily as clean, but uh it you you don't need to slander historical figures in order to uh, couch cultural or you know even racial critique, right? These weren't necessarily bad men, even though there were cultural mistakes and you know that kind of thing. Here's another example, because I know you you need another example. Um, there's a, a more recent thing now where people are saying that. The, you know, the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki were just completely war crimes and were completely unnecessary. And, I mean, there is some evidence for this that in certain, I guess, translations of the message from the Japanese that they were considering, uh, you know, a surrender and we didn't like the response or it didn't come fast enough, so we dropped nukes on them. And then... People are now saying this was a war crime and it was just an experiment to see what would happen when you drop a nuke on a city. And I get that that's an argument, but people are very adamant about this. They, they, they're almost arrogant about that it was clearly unnecessary. And it's like, were you Douglas MacArthur? Were, were you Harry Truman? 
were you the one looking at the assessments of how much men and materiel was going to take and how many civilian lives were going to be killed? We were going to go into those islands and we'd be killing women and children who, would, who were being trained to fight back. What would the body count have been? How brutal would that uh, occupation have been? But two nukes, yeah, a lot of lives, but, you know, ended, ended that conflict. So there's this kind of political correct identity politics engagement with revisionist history that tries to paint everything one way or another, right? We should be better than that. All right, so this whole podcast is uh, done. That's all you needed to know. <laughs> uh, thanks for sticking with me through the opening rant. Uh, by the way, the Kyle Style Podcast is brought to you in part by Kyle Style Design. Visit redbubble.com forward slash people forward slash Kyle Style Design. Get some of my original artwork on phone cases and uh, tote bags and prints and shirts and be looking snazzy and fresh with some uh, original artwork. And I've actually seen some of these things lately that uh, I know people who've bought some of these things and the mugs like really look great. Uh, the the tote bags look really great. They're they're pretty good quality and everything. I'm kind of impressed. It's really kind of strange when you see a design that you've done that has only kind of maybe existed on a computer screen or like in a sketchbook, kind of out in the world on something. It's, it's sort of trippy, right? But uh, if you don't feel like buying any of my art because you don't like art because you're a Neanderthal or you just don't like my art because you think I'm a hack, that's okay. You're wrong. But uh, head over to the GoFundMe page and throw me a dollar, you know, a dollar per episode. Maybe you don't like looking at my art, but you like listening to me talk. There's a, there's, a, uh, there's a nice workaround for you. So thanks for supporting the podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing. Uh, be sure to check me out. I am on iTunes, uh, SoundCloud, uh, what Stitcher, and Podcast Addict. You, I'm trying to get these episodes on YouTube, but YouTube, uh, <clears throat> we're going to get to that one in a little bit. So let's continue, shall we? So the culture war. You're like, is it really a war, Kyle? Is that really, it's a little melodramatic? Yeah, yeah, a little overly dramatic. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's not really a war. That's the whole point. It's not a violent confrontation. What it is is an ex- what should be a civil exchange of ideas, right? Now, this exchange of ideas should follow along certain known logical, uh, you know, formats, right? There is a way to go about civil discourse, and it is often completely abandoned by people who think, apparently, that they have. Uh, they, they, they don't, the rules don't apply to them. They don't need to use logic. They don't need to have reasoned arguments. They don't need evidence, and they can just use their emotions and emotional appeals and we push back against that and I say we in a sort of royal sense meaning me I try to do it but all the I'm about to give you a list of some uh, some sort of modern thinkers who are in some sense doing the same thing I'm doing now in this culture war it's important to point out that Kyle style podcast is like a little one little foot soldier on the battlefield with one little rifle going pew 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 shooting at sometimes I'm shooting at giant battle mechs that have nuclear rockets on them right I, I'm I'm not doing a whole lot in this culture war I'm reaching my you know hundred listeners a week kind of a thing but it is what I have and you go to war with the army you have right So I'm doing my part. On the sidelines, you have a whole bunch of cultural bystanders. 
they consume cultural products, they consume art, they consume movies, music, they uh, engage with technologies and they use technologies and everything else. They use language and they, uh, but they're bystanders when it comes to the cultural war aspect. They follow along with whatever the main crowd is doing. They retweet and repost uh, whatever, whatever memes suits them. And it's important to note that it's not just political correctness and some kind of like lefty stuff that's really the threat to our culture and the future, but it is also the right wing. These threats come from all sides, and this is why I said that there's all these shifting alliances and everything. Uh, you might have people on the left and people on the right click up for one specific uh, on one specific issue because again these enemies are all around us you never know which side is gonna come for one of your freedoms next you never know who's going to push for something that is possibly in, in a, <laughs> possibly unethical uh, or completely wrong so I default back to Orwell here I'm gonna give this uh, the correct context so I'm gonna fall back default back to George Orwell he who controls the past controls the future he who controls the present controls the past. So if you were to, you know, if you had some kind of right-wing, uh, you know, neo-Nazi group was able to take over the whole world violently and they were able to then destroy all of the, um, you know, all of the old monuments and all of the libraries, all, I guess all of the data centers, right? You would be left with a sort of captive population who wouldn't know what history is and then wouldn't have wouldn't understand what the present is. You could tell them what year it was. You could tell them where people came from. You could tell them where what they're supposed to be doing. You could make up a new language and make them learn that. And they would have no way of knowing that there were other people before them who lived differently, did things differently. So culture is kind of the, as Terrence McKenna kind of called it, it's like the software of your body, right? You are a living, breathing person, but your thoughts and your desires, your goals, your ambitions are all sort of shaped by culture, right? So in some sense, you're being controlled by culture. And then there are uh, a, there's a diffusion of various cultural perspectives that flood into your mind and motivate you to different things. If we had a violent white supremacist society, well, we probably wouldn't have any people of color in it, would we? We would have routed them all up and sent them away or genocided them, right? There wouldn't be any. And if you were in a generation where that was happening, you would be involved in that, and you would not feel like it's wrong at all. You would just go, oh, yeah, this is just what we do. This is how we are, right? In the same way, if you are a, a sort of a black activist, like Black Panther type, and you thought it's time to genocide the white people, you would be doing the same thing, and you would not necessarily feel like there's anything wrong with it, right? So, this is where uh, you start to see what I, I think of as the, the sort of the battlefield itself, right? It's the landscape of our, of the culture war in its current sort of uh, progression. And that is that you have... There are, there are some of these headlines, essentially. There are some of these big movements and big events that have happened in the last, I guess, depending on how old you are, the last, I'm going to say, about 30 years at least. There are sort of bigger uh, issues and smaller issues. 
in the recent in the recent couple of years, it's been Brexit, right? Brexit is one that no one necessarily saw coming. No one was sure what was going to happen, and the you know the limeys over there decided to leave the EU, and now no one necessarily knows what's what does that mean? What's going to happen? Why did they want to leave the EU? Well, they don't like the EU. Uh, they're leaving. A, they changed their country's trajectory, right? You got Trump 2016. That's an entire nuclear bomb of cultural clash. It's just uh, everything is in that. And uh, I might kind of touch on that again as we move forward. You got Black Lives Matter. Again, another sort of cultural guerrilla war. You got this this faction, and then they think that the uh, sort of structure of structures of government are opposed to them, and they proceeded to make people uh, kind of encourage people to get angry and burn down stuff are they right are they wrong i don't know we might uh, i might try to get into that as well it's again it's about perspectives yeah you know transgender bathrooms right it's a perception that you could say is kind of a traditionalist christian values thing that you don't you you think that men are going to be going into the women's restroom and they're going to be perverts and they're going to there's going to be sexual assaults by basically by men in in women's rooms. Men dressed as women are going to be like raping your children in the bathroom. I don't think that's the reality, but this is where it becomes a matter of what you are you allowed to choose your own laws or are your laws dictated to you? In a certain sense, the federal government is dictating laws to a state. They don't like that. It's uh it's tricky. Safe spaces. Now, this one is—I don't know how really how big of an issue this is. I mean, I've heard people, you know, say that this isn't really that big of a deal. But the entire concept of the safe space is very interesting because what you have in a, a safe space is basically like having a little shell, a little bubble that you can retreat to, where there's nothing you don't like in it. It's a safe space. You're not going to be assaulted by anything. You're not going to be offended by anything. You're not going to have your, uh, you know, PTSD symptoms or, or condition triggered by whatever, by offensive language, violent imagery, uh, you know, loud voices. It's a very strange concept that I think is a misapplication of maybe a good idea you know everybody needs some space where they are uninterrupted where they are free to daydream free to talk to themselves free to you know i don't know contemplate their navel that's probably good for you mentally health wise but it's uh it's used in a it's used in a very odd kind of coddling way in certain contexts and we'll we'll get to that as well now again, this isn't just lefty, you know, touchy feely stuff, or you know, uh, angry black people banning books. And the thing is, is that banning books can come from either side. You've got people trying to get Charles Darwin out of you know schools. You've got people trying to ban Huck Finn because it says the N word. And you, it's 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 offensive no matter what it is. I mean, you would have people trying to ban Mein Kampf because it's written by Hitler, and you're like, yeah, I, I would, I guess I'd like to read that because apparently 
It uh, helped him take over a whole country. It's a matter of historical record. It's not about you choosing what I can read and not. And uh, we'll, we maybe touch on that again later. Something that's been happening on college campuses. Uh, shutting down speakers and debates. You have people who show up to have a debate, and there are these often militant leftists. They're, they are leftists. They are so-called progressives, and they pull fire alarms. They call in bomb threats. They storm the stage to shut down conversation, to shut down a discussion. And it's kind of amazing because you that they then tend to claim that the the right side, the right wing, are fascists, and then they're engaging in authoritarian practices. This this, this bullying and everything, this thuggery, and it, the you know the irony is astounding. But this is happening, and it's also happening on social media platforms as well. Somebody tweets the wrong thing, and they can get publicly shamed. They can get fired from their jobs. They can get banned from the social media platform. This has happened to uh, at least one of our uh, one of the other figures on this list that I'm going to be getting to. I swear I'm going to get to it. So again, the battlefield itself surrounds all these issues, and it's a clash of values. And again, the conflicting values, overlapping values, uh, temporarily overlapping values. This leads to this soup of ideas that uh, are constantly battling one another and it's not necessarily that there's a clear winner overall it's not necessarily a war that has a resolution but we have a responsibility as citizens in a democracy as people who are parts of you're part of the community you live in maybe you're a parent you know all of these things are important to who you are how you live and what you're going to do in the future now, so what is all the fuss about? Go back to those bedrock values, the things that unite anybody at any given time in this culture war. They are things like free will, free speech, free thought, uh, you know, language policing, thought policing, economic systems and economic theories, political theories, right? Uh, religion, science, history, it's politics, it's what morality and ethics are, law, the role of government, rights and freedoms, education, sex, gender, and I would add in there, you know, courtship and pair bonding, marriage kind of thing, families, guns, abortion, all of these things are all, there are bedrock values, and then because there are bedrock values, you have contrary bedrock values, right? You have capitalists, free laissez-faire capitalists, and you have communists and socialists. They're not really going to see eye to eye. Now, would they both agree on freedom of speech, though? Yeah, in theory, you would think that they would because they both are practicing it when they espouse their view. So at some point, they are on the same team because you do have full authoritarians who don't want people to have free speech. You know, uh, some banana republic somewhere with a despot in power who censors all the newspapers and uh, black bags people who speak against him. That's, that's a reality for some people. Here in the West, essentially, we, we don't have these problems. Unless you're like in Germany or France and you're trying to you know talk about how maybe the Holocaust wasn't real. You might get yourself in trouble. Um, these, but these values are fundamental to an individual person's life. Like You have to kind of 
at least be aware of a lot of these sort of values and and flashpoints to even navigate the modern world as as an adult right you have to be aware that politics is playing a role in your life therefore government is playing a role in your life therefore the values of government play a role in your life and people are trying to use their value their position on these values to influence government and drive it one way or another and thus and thus the culture war right it's the control like george orwell said it's the control over the mechanisms of power right the the role of corporations in our lives the role of government in our lives what those uh what those organizations are doing and where they're where they're headed and what whether they value human life whether they uh engage fairly with the uh, economics whether they treat their workers right whether the government is you know waterboarding people and torturing people why are they doing that do you agree with them doing that the conclusions you arrive at tend to help you fall into a certain tribe a certain camp in this uh battle of the thousand armies this this crazy melee okay sorry kyle i'm sorry sorry kyle you're fucking ranting i'm sorry look this also goes back in time. This goes back a long ways. You know, Plato, John Locke, Adam Smith, Thomas Hobbes, Voltaire, Thomas Paine, Charles Darwin. There was a, a cultural atom bomb, right? Maybe God didn't totally design humans to be the way they are. Uh-oh. We don't like that. We don't like that at all. And some people still don't like that, right? Uh, maybe humans evolved over time. Uh-oh. That shoots some holes in a couple of very cherished ideas. So in this, uh, you know, all of those historical figures, which those are, each one of those guys is probably an entire podcast series on its own. That's not even one episode. That's just, they have books and they shaped the modern world. In this battlefield that we're currently in, there are some sometimes recent, uh, sometimes recent, uh, we lost some allies sometimes recently. Christopher Hitchens. Christopher Hitchens is like this ghost of the battlefield that looms large. And there, it's funny because I hear people who are right-wing reference Hitchens. I hear people who are left-wing reference Hitchens. And I, I even feminists reference Hitchens. And in some sense, he was a feminist. And in some sense, he picked on feminists. It's, it's funny. Like, it, he was just such a powerhouse and he was often so right because he was so well researched and spoke so clean, cleanly and dismissively of stupid things and powerfully about things that matter. And it just is just this monolith, right? There's a giant statue of Hitchens in the middle of this battlefield to me. Then you've got other other figures that are, again, arts are involved in this, okay? It's not just political commentators or uh, academics. People like Hunter S. Thompson to me are like this crazy wild card uh, on the battlefield that continue that show you that culture is a bit is malleable. It's dynamic. Uh, you can have these figures who kind of bob and weave, and and no one can really nail them down. And their practice of being alive itself is a demonstration of what being free to speak and free to think and not be being weighted down by ideologies and such that's what you you can get you can get a really original interesting person right so that's another example of 
uh, a kind of a ghost of the modern battlefield. Uh, there are again there, and we end up with some comedians on this on this list. Uh, Bill Hicks. Bill Hicks was the dude who, in some time, in some cases, wasn't even funny. He was just right. He was just uh, you know talking about our perception of the world. Uh, the influence the mainstream media has over us and our perceptions of the world, and that we are all individually kind of more powerful than we think we are, and that we we have to we have to move forward with that, right? And uh, another moving moving on another uh, uh, comic who looms large over this battlefield is George Carlin, a dude who used humor to to break down again it's sort of like bill hicks break down things like fear and paranoia uncertainty and unite people with humor everybody knows what it's like to think some of these thoughts but we've empowered certain people in society to sort of be free to say it and say it on a stage say it with a microphone say it in front of a big crowd and they can be it's a bit reductionist sometimes but you reduce something complex down until it's funny and then that allows people to engage with maybe complex or uncomfortable topics in a way that is not hair trigger people put the guns down for a minute and they laugh about the things that divide us and we then take a different approach because we now feel different about it maybe i'm reading too much into it but those those figures especially for me i know there's just got a million more in some sense it's everybody that has been engaged in society that you that you know the names of i mean elvis presley was technically part of the culture war um you know they didn't want to show him shaking his hips on tv because it was obscene so that was a cultural clash of them we now have Nicki minaj just twerking her ass and you almost see her vulva uh you know on the vma award stage we've come a long way right in the same sense, we used to have slavery, and then we fought a civil war and we freed the blacks, and then now we had the civil rights movement, and they're you know legally guaranteed their rights and everything. And now you have a black president, and you have black mayors, and you have black governors, and black actors and athletes and business owners, and it just is a continuation of that swing, right? That 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 movement for freedom just kind of continues on. Um, I gotta stop with those. Uh, <clears throat> gotta stop with the ums. Sorry. Didn't turn on your podcast to listen to you say um a million times, you son of a bitch. So in the middle of this battlefield, there are these sort of like giant fortresses. There's these monolithic fortresses that it's they sort of seem impenetrable and they're not super efficient you know kind of on a modern battlefield you don't want a fortress you want fighter jets right you want helicopters you want heat-seeking missiles but they have these giant kind of uncrushable you know uh, fortresses and you know who these people kind of are they're sort of the more static figures they're the noam chomsky's the you know bill o'reilly's ann coulter john stewart uh south park is technically one of these Tucker Carlson, Colbert, Bill Maher, John Oliver, you know who all these figures are, you've seen them, you know that they have books, and they have huge, they have huge media platforms, and they are concrete, essentially, they tend to stick to a certain kind of uh, uh, range, a sort of Overton window, essentially, of values that they adhere to, 
And if you tune into, you know, Bill Maher, you're going to get that angle. If you tune into Bill O'Reilly, you're going to get that angle. And they, I feel like they don't tend to change. They wouldn't even want to change in some sense because it would be bad for their like business model. And we're gonna we're gonna get to this uh, here in a minute. So in this war, there are people like myself, right? And again, like I said, I'm just a one little lone little doughboy running in the trenches, and I'm going pew pew at the things that I don't like. And nobody, you know, I'm not changing. I'm not necessarily changing any minds, but I gotta try. I gotta do what I can with what I got. But there are weapons in this war. The first one, I guess, is essentially your own mind, right? <laughs> I mean, you you have to have your own mind. It has to be functioning well. And you have to know how to think. You have to know how to do research. You have to know how to determine the validity or objectivity of sources of news and information, right? I like uh, Alex Jones' prison planet uh, news stuff. It's a little wacky sometimes. It goes a little too far for me. But they sometimes break news stories that aren't on other other news outlets. You just It pops up. Oh, there's a story that's actually happening right now. And then later on, mainstream media picks it up. Now, is the full uh, context that's presented by something like Prison Planet? Is, or Infowars.com. Is that objective? Maybe. Is Breitbart objective? Maybe they can be, but is CNN objective? No, no more necessarily than these other ones. I mean, like I've I've started to you know move away from these things, but anyway, uh, your own mind has to be functioning. You have to know how to discern information. Free speech then, free speech then is the next piece. You if you can think thoughts but you can't say them to people, you probably live in some kind of authoritarian regime. Right, and you need to speak privately to people and and in hushed tones so that people don't know that you're maybe holding an unpopular view or maybe have a view that will get you black bagged. Right, we we don't want to do that. Like it's we we don't do that. It's open. It's free. You can write an op-ed. You can have a website. You can have a podcast, and you can shout nonsense, and people can listen if they want. But no one can shut you down for saying things that they think you aren't allowed to say. That's authoritarian. That's uh, it's despotic. And we don't like that. Anybody who wants to do that can basically just fuck right off. Communication systems are sort of the bread and butter of this conflict. If you don't use one of these, you're missing ha- You're missing 90% of what the culture war actually is. The culture war isn't talking heads on these big news outlets, uh, the you know, mainstream media channels, cable news. That's really not where it's happening. And it's in some sense, it isn't even happening in politics. It's not Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. They are figureheads sort of floating over the battlefield that have amalgamations of different groups and armies and tribes underneath them, and they're facing off against each other, right? Um... But they are a, also a product of culture, right? As we all are. So it, they aren't necessarily leaders in the culture war. They are just in the battle themselves, and they're trying to accomplish one fight. They're trying to finish one fight at a time. While me, in the meanwhile, there's other battles raging at different times. I sort of like this war analogy. It's kind of it's working. So communication systems. 
Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, SoundCloud, uh, you know, these, these social media platforms, Instagram, you get on them and you might encounter people who have different ideas than you imagine that. And then you can, in theory, engage in discussion with them and learn, and they learn from you. It's oftentimes devolves into, you know, calling people fags and, you know, telling people that they're Nazis and that you hope they get, you know, they, they get eaten by ants or whatever you that's that's sort of inevitable and there are also trolls who aren't legitimately engaging with these uh these platforms but when you look at how these how organically these these uh you know networks evolve it's unprecedented in human history you're basically writing letters to random people on on earth and you have never had the ability necessarily to just write random letters to random people and have them respond back within seconds maybe and then you respond back to them and occasionally i've seen it it's rare i've seen it people change their mind on on the internet they have to be being genuine you have to be being genuine uh you do, you have to have done your research they have to have done theirs and you present them with contrary evidence and they go oh i was not aware of that and they like a gentleman you know concede defeat and it's it's amazing that person would not have changed their mind on an issue that is of importance had they not interacted with someone who disagrees with them thus fuck safe spaces right you can't stay in stay in safe spaces your whole life and be comfy it's not how it works you have to get uncomfortable. You have to hear stuff you don't want to hear. You have to, you know, sometimes do things you don't want to do, but you have to hear things you don't want to hear. And you have to hear things that challenge your view, right? And that view might be something you hold very dear. You really, you really hold it dear, but you're wrong. And at some point, you have to admit that you're wrong because being wrong about some of these, some of those issues I already listed, that is uh, exactly how we we continue to make mistakes as a society as a culture as government as you know industry as individuals we keep making the same mistakes throughout history because we fail to recognize the failure of the values that we're holding right the, sacrificing virgins to rain gods doesn't make it rain okay we, we have to evolve past that and to evolve past that you have to tell the guy stabbing the virgin they oh stop that and then he says no and then you might have to have a violent confrontation to get the uh you know costumed witch doctor to stop stabbing virgins because that's not what makes it rain oh, that was a fun little rant um these you know communication systems also allow you to interact with subscriber bases fan bases comments sections and uh you know if you go back to uh my episode about uh, always read the comments there's gold in those comments. There's people who have other information that contradicts the New York Times article, right? You have people in there who are just shitting all over the place, and sometimes it's funny. Uh, you have people arguing with one another, which is a demonstration of not only your freedom of speech, but also the nature sometimes, the very root of a lot of these conflicts. It's just a complete disconnect sometimes between someone who is like a socialist and someone who's a capitalist and they just cannot get over the hump they cannot see eye to eye and it's important to know that too because that might be a permanent front you know in this culture war it would be one that we never overcome so where does this go what, what is all this stuff right so there are 
various sort of, again, shifting dynamics on this battlefield, you have things like the regressive left, right? Um, the regressive left is this weird sort of newish term applied to people who claim to be liberals. They claim to be on the left. They claim to be progressive. But then they they sometimes are using illogical arguments. They're, they're arguing from emotion, not from facts. And they are using forms of intimidation and sort of like threats and things to shut down debate and discussion. And this includes things like just shouting racism, sexist, you're transphobic, you're homophobic, you're Islamophobic, you're xenophobic. Uh, these are not arguments. It's the, the thing is, is that they're, especially on the left these days, there seems to be a lot of psychics. There, there are a lot of psychic people who can read your mind and know that if you're opposed to uh, massive levels of Islamic Im immigration into your country because you know that there are tenets of Islam that you don't like, you don't agree with them, that means you're Islamophobic. Well, no, I don't like it's like a it's like a communist i i don't necessarily agree with what they believe it doesn't mean i want to gas them all it just i don't agree with that point that they have and we should be aware that if we allow 50 million communists to come into the country that's going to change our country and it's going to might maybe change it into something that you even you my opponent don't like and i wouldn't like it i'm going to change it into something else so the these things are are thrown at people and it's cost people you know it depends on what the severity is but it's cost people jobs it's cost people entire careers it's gotten people kicked out of everything politics uh you know media etc and it's very tricky and it leads to a sort of leftist authoritarianism where you can't violate the rules of political correctness or you can get hammered and those rules are constantly shifting and changing so Try and keep up, or you might find yourself uh, uh, hunted by a sort of online Twitter mob. There's another, there's a little force on the battlefield, right? These angry Twitter mobs and social justice warriors is a good term for a lot of them. They think that they're creating equality in the world, and sometimes they're just being dicks to people that they have no association with who they will never meet but they they dox them they go up and they they go online and find this person's you know home address who is someone who tweeted something quote unquote inappropriate and they will uh you know find their home address and uh threaten to kill them or you know tell their employer find out where they work tell their employer that their employee is a racist and the employer goes oh my god i got i can't have scandal i can't have people try to boycott me whatever so then they end up firing somebody and all of this because somebody just used the wrong words you know they use the wrong words to describe somebody or talk about something or they just took an opposing position and boom your whole life is now screwed because there's people who are easily sort of triggered to uh engage in this and they feel justified in doing it anyway moving along there's another clash here and it's uh globalism anti-globalism i'm going to reference this as we move forward brexit is a good example and you have things like trade deals you know it, it comes down to labor employment wages this kind of thing there's these there's this globalist I, I hate to call it a conspiracy theory, but it's a sort of theory of globalism, right? It's this idea that we can fuse and interlock all of our uh, economies and we can 
industrialize different countries and we can lift people all people up out of poverty all over the world and it's going to be commerce it's going to be trade it's going to be you know uh bigger labor markets bigger markets for you know uh, uh buying products selling products too and it's going to I feel like people think it's going to kind of help usher in that Star Trek future, like that you can just travel anywhere in the world and you can buy things from anywhere in the world and the whole world just lifts up and becomes, you know, uh, all on parity, like that everybody in the world that now lives a sort of equal standard of living. And it comes at a cost, though. It comes at a cost of maybe having really uncomfortable alliances with countries that you wouldn't even want to visit. Uh, you wouldn't want... You, 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 they don't treat their people well. Um, they don't have basic freedoms. And then here we are doing having trade deals with them and stuff. So pick and choose. You, you know, there's, there's sides in this. Um, here's another term that you should know, anti-feminist. So what does anti-feminist mean? It's somebody who wants to kill all women. No, it's not true. An anti-feminist is basically, in this current iteration, is somebody who's opposed to what is known as third-wave feminism. Third-wave feminism has essentially gone off the rails and now attempts to apply to everything. Uh, eating meat is is anti is uh, or being vegan is feminist. You can't eat meat and be a feminist. You can't. Uh, you couldn't possibly be a Republican and be a feminist. You couldn't possibly. Um, you if you are a woman and you have children. That maybe is your internalized cultural misogyny, and you didn't actually want children. It's just the patriarchal society, uh, you know, uh, uh, infusing you with the idea that you want children. It's a bit crazy, and it's it becomes offensive. There's there's levels where this stuff becomes really stupid, and you even have other women saying this is absolutely stupid. Uh, they're the ones pushing these, uh, you know, rape culture kind of narratives and this uh, college campus rape and all this stuff that these, that there's this looming massive threat to all women everywhere. And they often demonize men and they often say, no, men are the problem, all of them. But if you said, no, women are the problem, all of them, they would go into hysterics and try to get you fired from your job. But moving forward, nice little rant there. Um, these, well, okay, these anti-feminists, though, also do things like they, or uh, not the anti-feminists, these, the feminists, the third waivers, do things like pull fire alarms and call in bomb threats and shut down debates and things. And so they've, they've earned their place of being reviled. They, they've really earned it. Now, moving on, we're going to get into, like I said, there's a list. I put together a list and there's going to be a playlist of some of these guys when I run down some of my favorite figures in this culture war at the moment, and these are going to be heavily online personalities, right? They're going to be current, they're going to be online, and they're going to be. Uh, I want to. Th I want to think they're diverse. I like to think I listen to various diverse opinions, and they're going to cover a lot of different stuff. So, here we go. So as I said before. I'm in the I'm in the trenches of the culture war. There are bystanders that just want to you know watch pro sports and not take positions on things because it's so maybe socially a little conducive you know to not have any unpopular opinions. But if you have no unpopular opinions, then you're probably just a follower and you're not probably very interesting anyway. So if I'm just one little guy and I have my podcast where I say things like this, other people are doing similar things, but they're also like 
they're the privates in the army or they're partisans and they oftentimes just sit on the sidelines they they don't go over the top with us they they just hide in the foxhole and they occasionally repost a meme that supports one view or another right but in this struggle of this battlefield there are those those ghosts that loom large but there are active parties in this uh, culture war on the battlefield and there are sometimes these these figures who are who have larger audiences than the mainstream media because they use the more modern media outlets which is you know the distribution networks youtube soundcloud libsyn that kind of thing and they reach people who consume media when they want they maybe consume the same piece of media multiple times they share it they comment on it they're engaged with the material and the subject matter in ways that and they they can fact check on the fly as they're watching and sometimes the the producer will do that for them they'll say here here's what wikipedia says here's another source here's another source and they have links in the you know description kind of like kyle style podcast does with the blog posts and so there are these field generals who have these uh again not your mainstream media people and and people you already know necessarily but uh these field generals who command huge audiences and they might take one position or another on various things but there is this swarm around some of these guys and they have their own armies um and gals and they have their own armies and you you can find yourself following with that with that horde and then switching to a different horde and sometimes hordes come together and form a united front again about the around those bedrock values uh, the first one joe rogan he's kind of been a powerhouse for i don't know 10 years or so now in the online space right uh you know he was the fear factor guy and uh and he was on Chappelle's show right like something i haven't told you joe rogan i smoke rocks uh and then he's the ufc commentator guy so he's into martial arts he's into fitness he's into um you know he's a marijuana advocate he's into comedy stand-up comedy and as an extension of that obviously free speech he's a free speech proponent he's also you know a second amendment proponent and he is one of these dudes that he's like a meathead stoner like science bro kind of guy who is funny but also genuine he's sometimes aggressive but also he's like a liberal i mean he's kind of like uh you know live and let live and who cares about gay marriage and you know what's the big deal but then he goes after some of these like social justice warrior types for their authoritarian practices and he's often very refreshing and he's sort of not afraid to talk to anybody he's had all kinds of people on his podcast again it's interviews and they cover all kinds of stuff you know he'll have mma fighters on and then he'll have neil degrasse tyson neil degrasse tyson on and it's just it's all it's kind of always interesting and it's a, a representation of a sort of shift in our media consumption and the sort of media angle of a lot of the culture war our access to information is different now and our and the content that a lot of people are consuming is different now and a lot of these guys also you know like joe rogan created their own platform kind of in the wilderness uh they they created podcasts and youtube channels and stuff and they stuck with a certain format and now you have them 
topping mainstream media outlets because they just kept with it and they stay genuine. And in a certain sense, these sort of more long-form videos and content are more effective than 30 seconds of people yelling at each other on a mainstream news channel because you just have a bunch, you have five talking heads talking over each other. You don't know who's telling the truth. You don't know who has the real facts. And then at the end of it, you cut to a commercial so they can try to sell you, you know, razors and, and rascal scooters and life insurance and and luxury cars and you're you're just a target for advertising you're they're not even really trying to educate you you're not even actually learning anything so people like joe rogan are just this like again kind of an atom bomb in the midst of the thing they're just this 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 whirlwind of of various different ideas and it attracts all these people because they're not afraid to have the conversation now moving forward Sam Harris, he's been a guest on the Joe Rogan podcast. And, you know, the Sam Harris universe is one where, you know, he's a neuroscientist. He's written books about religion, spirituality. Um, he's trying to develop an app for meditation. And you go back, I did a whole uh, multiple breakdown, a series of multi multiple series breakdown, blah, of... Um, uh, 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 his conversation with Omer Aziz and talking about Islam and terrorism and the connections and all of these things. And he's just kind of like a fascinating dude who just takes positions and he, he's able to defend them pretty well in my estimation. Um, but if you, if you think of these field generals, the reason they're field generals is because they do have large followings. They have a consistent sort of body of work. They're not flippy floppy but they have these large followings. And so the Joe Rogan following, the Joe Rogan army is a bunch of like weightlifting, meat-eating, you know, uh, stoner, you know, science dudes who when they are done with their mushroom trips will go into battle with jujitsu and hopefully reasoned arguments, right? And they will, you know, be able to defend certain points and the the result is you have a huge group of motivated people who are willing to speak their mind as as they see it or speak the speak the truth as they see it and the Sam Harris army is similar there i would say a little more soft spoken because Sam Harris is more soft spoken than say a Joe Rogan and when the Sam Harris army are they're meditating and floating 3 inches off the ground when they're done with their meditation, they'll descend back to Earth, and then you can get them all to move in a sort of orderly fashion, and they will engage one-on-one -on -one with people on social media and in real life and speak to them in a way that is probably a little more helpful, maybe. It's a little, uh, it's, it's a little more, it's more reasoned and maybe less funny. It's less entertaining, but it's a, a drive, a realistic drive towards real truth now part of the reason he has this following sam harris is because he's been battling with the regressive left and that sort of uh you know uh, progressive authoritarianism which seems like an oxymoron but it's not because hey it's 2016 uh he's an advocate of you know obviously free speech and free thought because that is the basis that's the foundation again that's the foundation of, of rational discourse 
And, you know, moving moving along, an ally of Sam Harris, uh, another guy I really like, uh, Douglas Murray. He's a, a gay limey, but he's a conservative. He's opposed to the uh, Islamization of the UK and Europe. And his, you know, he, he does the similar thing that Sam Harris does. He just has this battering effect of, like, just reason and evidence that just kind of compounds, and he's just so convincing. And... Yet, you know, if you're going to play identity politics, he's gay. He shouldn't be a conservative, right? He's supposed to be a liberal. Well, no, he's just his sexuality isn't tied to necessarily tied to his politics. So he's kind of a, a black sheep in that sense. He's kind of drawing outside the lines. And, uh, you know, moving on to, uh, you know, well, Douglas Murray works with the, uh, uh, what is it? The uh, Henry Jackson Society. So they're kind of a, a British, uh, I think, think tank of, uh, mo- I think, mostly conservatives. But they, you know, he puts out his content. He's on BBC and everything. Not an obscure person, but just not, uh, you know, not a, a permanent talking head on some, uh, you know, news network. So another another figure here is another guy who's been around for a long time really it's i think maybe 10 years or so uh doing youtube videos and podcasts stefan molyneux he's a canuck and he i think he used to be more like a socialist but then he i think he did a whole video about this where he said he kind of changed his mind right and uh he he does things where he takes calls from his listeners and goes kind of in depth with each collar. It doesn't go one collar to another collar and another collar in 30 seconds. He he takes one call about one topic and then he talks to the person and they kind of work out whatever it is that they're 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 working on. He I mean he talked for I think an hour or more with a, a flat earth believer uh, about why he thinks the earth's flat and whether you know there's this huge conspiracy about the earth being flat and who, who that conspiracy serves and all this stuff. And it, it's just, you would never have that conversation again on, on a mainstream news you know channel, or it would be a couple minute segment about a guy who thinks that, and they would probably just frame it as you're crazy. Stefan Molyneux takes this position like, okay, tell me why it is you think this is true. And we'll step, we'll walk through this, right? Taking this person seriously and talking to them like an adult and not just demonizing them that's how it kind of should be you shouldn't just be able to just ridicule somebody and just be like aha you moron they're not going to change their mind because you said they're stupid right they're going to change their mind because you walk through each piece of their belief system about this and demonstrate to them that it may not be so concrete as they think it is in theory the same thing should happen with uh, you know real racists with you know organized racists with uh, organized sexists, I guess, whatever that means. But you should be able to walk people through their ideology and find where there may be strengths and there may be weaknesses. And that's the kind of thing that will lead to truth in theory. Uh, but Stefan Molyneux, I mean, he's a Canuck, but we don't hold that against him. He's a he's anti-big government. He's, again, a kind of an anti-globalist. Uh, he's a, I don't know, anarcho-capitalist or some other various thing. It doesn't necessarily matter, you know, you don't have to swallow the whole thing, you don't have to adopt the whole ideology, but he's a guy who is engaging in interesting discussion with people because he's being honest, and he's putting things back in terms of things like human wellness and goodness and, uh, you know, morality and ethics, which that's kind of the bedrock, again, there's a bedrock value there, like 
what are we as a society what are we doing where are we going how do we live how do why are we this way there you go right if you have those things and you can ha answer some of those questions and it can be shown that you are working towards those things then hey you're kind of an ally in this thing now Stefan Molyneux is another one who who does these kind of long form videos from time to time they're an hour long and two hour long I think he did like a two hour long one about how FDR's New Deal wasn't necessarily as great as people like to think it is and there's so much information it kind of can be hard to to fact check it all but it's another perspective you know it's just another perspective you can entertain the idea without accepting it so just be an adult and engage with the information and again another guy whose subscriber base on YouTube and everything and on Twitter is greater than a lot of the mainstream media pundits right so this power of the the cultural influences again shifting to these new spheres uh oh moving on <laughs> this next guy is just uh he's a bit of a wild card himself anthony cumia of the uh he he has created his own podcast network the uh, uh compound media and compound media is kind of his reaction to having been fired from Sirius uh, Satellite Radio. He was one half of the Opie and Anthony show, which was a, you know, sort of shock jock, you know, talk show on uh, Sirius XM. And he got fired because he was attacked on the street late one night by a black woman and then said a bunch of, you know, slightly racially inflammatory tweets about violence in the black community and this being an example of it and everything. And then he was fired after you know i don't know 10 years or something of being with the company and having great ratings and everything he was fired so he kind of took a little time off there and created his own podcast network his own production studio and actually it's video cast as well as podcast but he does the anthony cumia show and then he has other shows on his network and it's subscriber only so you 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 know you have to pay for it but uh the the advantage there is they aren't beholden to any advertisers they can say whatever they want right anything they want and it's a beautiful little bastion of uh of free speech so that kind of becomes that you know compound media and anthony cumia become again almost a a mobile fortress they're a giant battle tank on this modern battlefield of the culture war where they they have various little gun turrets on it and those are the other you know kind of kind of guys on the network and then they are lobbing nuclear atomic anti shell artillery shells at the quote-unquote enemies whoever our enemies are but anthony cumia is a bit of a loose cannon another war analogy uh kind of that south park thing where it's it's all okay or none of it is okay as far as free speech is concerned and he sometimes gets a little hyperbolic, but he's tending towards humor, and he tends to have reasoning behind what he's saying. He's not just you know just some idiot saying stuff just to be shocking. He just takes positions, and then you know he's even admitted when he's wrong from time to time. So uh, he kind of admitted being wrong when he, and he interview, interviewed Bill Nye, you know Bill Nye, the science guy. So uh, Anthony Kumi is another one to check out. And again, I'm going to try to include a bunch of links and a bunch of videos and stuff. So be sure to check him out. Now, here's another one who I is an uncomfortable bedfellow as far as I'm concerned. But he's just I find myself on his side more than I'm not. 
and that is uh, Steven Crowder, his YouTube channel, Louder with Crowder. Again, another one who's been around for a while, and slowly I've watched his like kind of production values just increase over time, right? And now he puts out pretty high-quality content. They do a lot of research, and they present the links and information and everything. And they... I mean, he's so he's he's a righty. This this Stephen Crowder. Okay, so he's a Canuck, but again, I won't hold that against him. It's not his fault that he wasn't born here, uh, but he became an American. You know, props to him. But he's he looks like Adam Devine. <laughs> like he looks like the guy who was the leader of the boys' singing group in Pitch Perfect. That's the only thing I can think of him in. I think he was in Modern Family. But he looks just like the guy. And I'm going to say that Steven Crowder, he's he's a bit douchey. He just seems kind of douchey. Like, it, he's, he's kind of like a drama club guy. Like, he kind of has that affection for the stage presence kind of thing. And he just sort of, it's hard to even describe. He just seems that way to me. So he's a little douchey. But, damn, he did these Second Amendment videos that are just spot on, as far as I'm concerned. He does takedowns of other people's videos about, uh, you know, the Second Amendment because people spout nonsense about guns and they don't know anything and Second Amendment and, you know, they mock Second Amendment advocates. It's, like, really childish, and they don't get it. Like, they, they don't understand what they're talking about, and they have the audacity to, to uh, be, uh, you know, incendiary about it and to be, you know, ridiculing about it. Well... He did some videos that break it all down for you, and I'm going to include them here. And, I, you know, I thought about doing a Second Amendment video because I'm a, I'm a two-way uh, proponent, but uh, he already did it. <laughs> In some cases, some of these people have already done topics, so I don't really have to do them. And, uh, but Steven Crowder, so he, he's also a religious guy. So he's sort of against, he's against atheists, which is odd that he's, you know, on this list with these other kind of atheists and secular types, but there's that uncomfortable bedfellow thing, that, uh, that culture, the, the temporary alliance thing, right? He, he and I, I think he's too grown and he's too intelligent to be doing that, like, full-on theistic religious thing, but that's his right to do that. I don't want to take away his right to do that. Uh, I think he's wrong, but he could disagree with me about that. But we are in agreement on various other things. Um, the rampant sort of militant feminist thing, safe spaces, trigger warnings, the social justice warrior culture. And we are on the same page about those things. And whether there's a God or not is kind of outside of a lot of this stuff. It doesn't necessarily correlate to me uh, about things like Second Amendment, First Amendment. Uh, individual liberties, these kind of things. So you kind of pick and choose. You can kind of have it all a cart and work with people who are shooting the same direction as you, right? And I want to, I want to, I want to couch this as well because some of these voices that I'm going to run down this this list further. There's lefty types, there's righty types, there's, I don't know, just random wild cards. The thing is, is that I'm not really going to include a lot of the leftist voices on this, because if if you are a liberal, you probably already know who a lot of them are. They're going to be the, the uh, they're going to be the uh, Anderson Coopers and the MSNBC types. They're going to be 
the young Turks who I increasingly cannot stand. I, I, I find them disgusting, the young Turks. They, they're pitiful excuses for journalists, and they don't even articulate liberal views well. They, I, I, I can't, I can't stand them. Um, but these left, there's leftist type voices online as well, but I don't want to drive traffic to them because you probably already know about some of them. If you don't, then, you know, I, I'm not trying to send traffic to them. I disagree with them. Uh, you can find them on your own. But, uh, a lot of these voices do tend to be a little more conservative because, they're some of the only ideas that are challenging to me. I grew up and I used to have dreadlocks, right? I used to smoke a lot of weed. I get the liberal thing, you know, and I get in some sense the at least basic part of the kind of liberal said agenda, the, the liberal position. It's like we're all equal and, you know, men and women are equal and all the races are equal and we're all going to get along and, you know, we need to help the poor and all this stuff. And you go, yeah, okay, sure. You know, I'm, I'm kind of on board with that. And then how it manifests itself is sort of weird social welfare programs, you know, like Obamacare, which is not not effective, in my opinion. Uh, things like affirmative action, which in, in a lot of ways just run very contrary to the basic values of hard work and meritocracy and everything. And, you know, you can, these things can delve down deeper and get all, you know, competing economic and social and psychological models, right? And, and it gets all fishy. But it, it, the, these voices to the, on the right, more right side of things, to me, are, are almost refreshing. And it's, it's different than what I've kind of heard more of my life. Maybe it's just because I'm getting old and I'm getting, becoming a curmudgeon. But uh, moving along. We have our like uh, our field colonels. These are like smaller figures, maybe not as big a following, but in some sense, I like some of these guys more because they are maybe a little more targeted in some of their content. They're not as broad, and they are. It's one of those things where I believe I could maybe reach this level with the Kyle Style podcast, right? Like, I, I don't know if I can reach the Joe Rogan level or the Anthony Cumia level, but I can maybe reach this level eventually where people say, hey, what does Kyle, what does Kyle Style think? I know, I, it's, I can dream, right? Uh, the top one at the list there of the, the field colonels, you got uh, Dave Rubin of the Rubin Report. Now, he's a handsome, uh, polite, sort of a cheeky fellow. He's he's kind of a straight man on the battlefield. <laughs> and uh, I say straight man, haha, because he's he's gay, he's Jewish, uh, but he's basically a white guy. And he actually used to work for the Young Turks, who I already told you I kind of despise. And he realized that they were going off the rails, that they were not doing journalism, they weren't uh, advocating for liberal values well, and so he left and created his own network. And uh, it's the Rubin Report, and he does interviews, and his sort of philosophy is just, I should not be afraid to interview anybody. And one of his, one of the first ones that I saw that was really convincing to me that this was a good, it's a good format to do things in, was he interviewed uh, Tommy Robinson. Tommy Robinson is sort of a cultural warrior in his own regard. He's he's like Tommy Robinson. He's from Luton, and uh, he's opposed to Islamization of the UK. That was a terrible Tommy Robinson. I've done a better one before. 
Like some of my best mates, uh, they're black. And uh, he interviewed Tommy Robinson, and they just had a conversation about what Tommy Robinson has seen in like Luton, his town he's from in Britain, where he saw you know mosques radicalizing young Muslims and stuff, and a bunch of terrorists have come out of his hometown and. Because he's spoken out about it, now he's get you know gets attacked on the street by you know angry Muslims and you know and the government and police have said no you should shouldn't go over there don't go into that part of the city they like drew him a map apparently of like where he's allowed to go in the city this is crazy and it's all in the in the in the interest of not being uh you know offensive to the Muslims give me a break they have like. Muslim rape gangs and stuff. It's crazy. And Dave Rubin talked to him, and they had an honest conversation, and that cinched it to me that I was like, yeah, this guy's legit. Uh, well, both of them are, right? He's also had Sam Harris on his show, and uh, Dave Rubin has been on Joe Rogan's show. Sam Harris has been on Joe Rogan's show. And they, uh, you know, they cover, they come sometimes cover the same ground, and then sometimes just have a conversation and just be people, right? And it's very refreshing. But uh, moving down the list, well, okay, Dave Rubin, let me say, Dave Rubin is a proponent of what are known as classical liberal values, right? So classical liberal values are things like rights, individual liberties, uh, you know, the sort of rights of man idea, and the, you know, sort of a, a, a general pursuit of truth and that kind of thing. This is in conflict in some cases with, again, the modern liberals who who are engaging oftentimes in like identity politics and using political correctness to stifle open discourse and these are not these are not values that are really liberal they they really aren't uh, you know forced immigration and uh you know bullying people with uh claims of xenophobia and other like identity politics things like these are not liberal values the the, the shoe has gone on the other foot somehow and Dave Rubin is a sort of, he's, he's more of a lefty. He still claims that he's a liberal. And yet some of his views start starting to move towards the center, maybe back to the right. And so Dave Rubin, to me, is kind of one of these guys that's similar to me, where you now have this meme of the alt-right, that there's this subset of the right, the, the conservatives, I guess, the right in America, and that there's the, they're white nationalists and they're all these they're Nazis and all this other stuff. They're the ones. They're they're basically responsible for Donald Trump. Uh, that's my position. They helped create Donald Trump. Now I found myself kind of being in counted in that number. I'm like I agree with uh, you know points A, C, E, and F of your guys's kind of agenda, and not so much with anybody in, on the you know other side, right? Less so anyway. And then I realized, well, wait a second. On the alt-right, you have, there are fascists, there are monarchists, there are just, there there are Nazis, okay? There are. But uh, the whole thing is just a kind of contrarian, you know, uh, you know, mental movement. And it's, it is an age thing. People who are more engaged online are engaged in this alt-right stuff. And they're, they're encountering and dealing with information in, I don't know, I think a more honest way. Sometimes it's a bit echo chambery, but they um but they're they're actually engaging with difficult statistics and difficult uh issues and they're arriving at these conclusions that sometimes I share maybe for different reasons but 
people like Dave Rubin, probably, you know, a Joe Rogan, a Sam Harris, to me, uh, we, f- we, we sort of are more in an alt-left kind of thing where I don't like Hillary Clinton and I think she's a liar. That doesn't mean I'm not liberal and doesn't really mean I'm not leftist. Um, I do believe in secure borders. That doesn't mean I hate Mexicans. Um, you know, why can't I have these things? Why, why do you want Why do you make me have to slice and dice all of my views and go with the lesser of two evils? I want all these things. I want Second Amendment rights. I want First Amendment rights. I want to kind of end the war on drugs. I would like us to secure our border with Mexico, but I would also like Mexico to become prosperous so that they don't have to come here. I would like for there to be some kind of social medicine in America, but I don't know how it comes, right? I don't know how it happens, uh, but I don't think Obamacare is it. All these different views pull me different directions. Right, like I've, there's no right candidate for somebody like me because none of them are following the sort of like logic that each of these positions has, and we keep losing because we keep having to take one side that has one important, you know, uh, platform issue, and then the other side has one important platform issue, and we have to pick and choose. It's and it's becoming offensive, right? It's becoming a bit offensive. Anyways. Another little rant aside there. I announced the creation of the alt-left. I hereby announce it. So follow along with me uh, as we go down the list. So I realize there, have, aside from a, a couple Jews and half-Jews, there hasn't been much diversity on this list. So let's go into Tommy Sotomayor. Tommy Sotomayor is a dude who I, I hope never stops. He is, a, he is a black man. He is a YouTuber, I think. I think he's been on some news shows and stuff, but he is an outspoken critic of black culture in America. I mean, he's <laughs> he kind of goes after black people in America and, uh, you know, uh, calls them out on some of their, their bullshit. And he's able to do it. If a white person was saying the stuff that he's saying, that he, he would have gotten taken down a long time ago. But because he's black, this is where the identity politics get confusing. Because he's black, it he gets away with it. He gets a lot of hate from other black people, though, too. And as he often points out, like, why are you spending all your time watching my videos and hating on me and trying to get me get my videos taken down? Why don't you harass the drug dealers and the gangbangers that are shooting up your neighborhoods? No, you want to argue with a black guy on YouTube. This is a good point, but he is he is a controversial figure. And uh, I'll, you know, include links to him as well. Moving on. God, another limey? God, there's all kind of Canucks and limeys in this list. I'm starting to, you know, I'm starting to question whether I'm a true American. It's Paul Joseph Watson of Infowars.com. He's uh, on the Alex Jones network. He's kind of in the Alex Jones universe. Paul Joseph Watson, again, another limey. And he's an anti-globalist. He, I, th- I think he flirts with conspiracy theory from time to time. And I don't necessarily watch a whole lot of his videos, but I've seen some that are directly targeted at some specific issues that I'm interested in. This is kind of, like I said, you can kind of have these a la carte allies. And... Uh, his thing is pushing back against what's kind of known as cultural Marxism, which is this is kind of tied up with that political correctness idea that we can socially make everybody equal if everybody just kind of follows these talking points and whenever they're talking about things and they use the right terminology, but it kind of can be get a little authoritarian and a little creepy. So uh, he's kind of always pushing back against that stuff. 
but he i think he tends to have a lot of like stats and th- and figures and things that he can throw up to help support his arguments which is really how you're supposed to support arguments and uh he's uh, you know there another voice where you know hundreds of thousands of youtube subscribers uh millions of plays of his videos you know, again he's reaching wider audiences than mainstream news outlets are it's interesting and has more uh loyalty than mainstream news outlets do again changing shifting media and here we go another another limey and, and he's a fag uh milo yiannopoulos oh you're fabulous darling he's a gay limey conservative trump supporter <laughs> right i mean it's like a chimera uh, of of stuff that just takes the identity politics thing and just stuffs it in a paper shredder like you can't uh, and he's been able to confound a lot of these uh, these issues because he he goes he as he says he goes off the reservation. If you're a gay man and you and you you're not supposed to be a conservative, you're not supposed to support Donald Trump, of course, and you're supposed to just buy in all buy into all the other liberal talking points and liberal positions. And he's like, no, like I I disagree with this and I agree with that. And he's another, he's kind of a wild card. He's a provocateur. He's a bit of a troll, but I, I want him to never stop as well. And people have tried to shut down his, his, well, they have successfully shut down his talks before he's done a college tour that was called the dangerous faggot tour. He's uh, starting a new one that's uh, making the rounds around the country. And he created this thing where I, I, I shared the uh, you know post about the Dangerous Faggot Tour on Facebook. And I got kicked off of Facebook for 24 hours for calling the tour by the name that the gay guy who created it gave it and so this is where the whole thing starts to just fall apart right like this this whole concept that uh you know gays are so sensitive they can't hear the word faggot uh and you can't write faggot on a social media platform because that's hate speech Uh, unless you're talking about i don't know a bundle of sticks i guess then it wouldn't be i I don't know It, it these things just start to fall apart but here's again an uncomfortable bedfellow right so uh, well, people have called Milo racist because he's talked about things like black on black crime, uh, the uh, you know reasons maybe for the disparity in the you know uh, inequality in the black community in America, similar to Tommy Sotomayor. But uh, Milo also he openly says he loves black cock, right? He he loves he loves Negro dick, and he. Like and but he's also another. It's just another chimera thing. He's a religious guy. He's like a Catholic or something, and he makes fun of atheists and says that atheists are insane and stupid and all this stuff. So and and that nobody wants to fuck them and that's why they're all grumpy. And unfortunately for Milo, if he met me, he would not be into black dudes anymore. He would want to fuck me. And I'm an atheist, so you know he's wrong about that. But it's uh you know un- talk about uncomfortable bedfellows. You, you might find yourself spooning with uh, Dave Rubin and Milo Yiannopoulos and uh, <laughs> Joe Rogan. This would be weird, okay? But oftentimes we're all shooting the same direction, and that's the important thing, right? Milo took down uh, crazy social justice warriors on college campuses and things, and again, I'll post some videos. You've kind of got to see him in action to get sort of the appeal 
I, I hope he never stops. I want, I want him out there being dramatic and being crazy. Um, yeah, Milo got himself banned from Twitter. See, this is how this thing works is that you say the wrong things or somebody says you said the wrong thing and you get banned from Twitter. He had like, you know, hundreds of thousands of followers, gone. Now you can't promote books, you can't promote shows, you can't promote your tour, all this stuff. It still gets through though because he has fans and they post it for him. Anyways, uh, here's another, just here's an ally of Milo Yiannopoulos. There's another guy who kind of crosses over a little bit. Uh, Gavin McInnes, Gavin, Gavin McInnes, and he is, I, I mean, he's like a, he's like the godfather of hipsterdom, apparently, I mean, he is apparently one of those early guys that was doing what hipsters are doing now, uh, the style, the, you know, the ironic facial hair, all that stuff, he, he kind of did all that, it helped kind of create all that in the New York area and everything, and he's another, uh, well, he's a limey Canuck, he's a Scottish limey, born, immigrated to Canada, and then immigrated to America, and so now he's an American, uh, we won't hold it against him that he's a Canuck, and he's another kind of wild card, like, he just goes at, he takes positions sometimes that I can't, I'm like, oh shit, I'm glad you're saying that, I can't say that, uh, he's on kind of a level of uh, agreeing with Ann Coulter that, you know, women shouldn't vote because women don't have the uh, the mentality to really take good political positions. And so women voting is like destroying the country kind of thing. And I, I, I can't agree. I mean, I understand their reasoning, but I, I, I can't agree. But again, you... If they're entertaining, listen to them. They're funny. Uh, Gavin is such an asshole about how he says things, too. He just says things in, like, these really blunt ways and leads people left and right and then leads them right where he wants them to be and then hits them with, like, a hammer of of logic and you just go, oh, God, like, I never really thought of it that way. And again, so another a challenging voice. Listen to a challenging personality who just doesn't agree with things that you already agree with, right? It's not about being in agreement. It's about fighting and finding the truth. Anyways, moving along. Another limey. God, do I have a single American on here? Uh, Sargon of Akkad. Like, Sogon Ovakad. He's an anti-feminist. He's an anti-globalist. He's a proponent of Western values, which, um, oh, well, he, uh, Gavin McInnes is as well. Uh, a Western chauvinist. Uh, I don't know if Sargon is, but uh, Gavin McInnes is, is a self-proclaimed uh, Western chauvinist. Uh, the West is the best. Uh, Western society and Western culture are better than the rest of the world, and that's why we're so great, and we should not apologize for it. And you shouldn't apologize for being white. You shouldn't apologize for being a Westerner. You shouldn't apologize for being a man. Now, as a white male Westerner, uh, that makes me feel good about myself. Uh, you know, you can pick that apart if you'd like. Uh, you know, the sins of the father and all that. But uh, you should be proud of who you are and what you are, right? You know, I guess they try to reserve that only for, like, gay people and, and black people and stuff. But if you're just a straight white guy, you can do that, too. You can... Just be proud of who you are, and not be uh un and be unapologetic about it. Anyways, Sargon Avakad, definitely a, a you know a pro-Western guy. 
Uh, he's a slightly chubby, at least last time I saw, bearded limey who has broken down all kinds of different news stories and everything and put things in context and he's pushed back against these ideas of like rape culture being really prevalent and uh you know men being violent and this uh, pa idea of patriarchy that men are just dominating all of society and controlling everything and uh he's again very interesting to listen to he does some other longer form videos as well you know provides stats and links and everything so that you get the context and uh he's he's good to listen to as well now, uh, uh, not many, not many women on this list so far. Uh, we're gonna go right to one who is just a, a beautiful little doll, a little gem, Lauren Southern, and it's very close to my last name. I kind of like that. Uh, but she's a beautiful, uh, perky little blonde girl, and she's from Canada, another Canuck, and she is a hedgehog wrangler. She is a, like a she keeps hedgehogs as pets. It's kind of a thing she's about. But she is a bitch when it comes to doing, like, confrontational journalism. Like, she goes out to the field and interviews people, and now people kind of know who she is, and they they hate her. Oh, they go after her. They try to, you know, shut her cameras down, all this kind of stuff. And she is kind of a, a libertarian, and she pushes back against kind of these... Uh, black lives matter uh movements and things and f against feminists and everything she's gone to the calais jungle which is this migrant camp in western france right near the narrow part of the english channel where they kind of swim across to england they and she interviewed you know migrants there and stuff and some of the stuff that they saw in their interviews was just you know like entitled you know, you know, Middle Eastern men sitting around complaining about how the Wi-Fi sucks and they had like no ambition whatsoever to work or even pretend to learn the lang local languages, integrate anything. They were just, you know, entitled shitheads sitting in tents complaining about how they're sitting in a tent. And she puts out some kind of inflammatory stuff as well, Lauren Southern does. But... uh Again, interesting to listen to. She's on uh, Rebel Media, which is a, a Canadian thing. Uh, they they feature Gavin McInnes as well. <clears throat> Get your ums under control, Kyle. The people are listening. Now we come to another uh, another guy. Oh, I really like this guy, Little Ben Shapiro. <laughs> At least the meme is that he's little and he's a short guy, but he's he's kind of a he's a little bit good looking dude, uh, and he's. Uh, He's a Jew, but he looks like he's just like a white guy. He's a debate neutron bomb. I mean, he's like, I mean, again, he's a conservative. Um, he, you know, uh, I think he's been work. He's done work with like the, I don't know, the Heritage Society or Heritage Foundation, something like that. And in debates, though, he just destroys. He just destroys people's arguments. And one of the best ones is in the clip in here that uh, I'm including in the playlist. He he basically levels these Black Lives Matter uh, representatives in a debate just by pointing out that there's this, you know, there's this alleged racism in the police department and they're just shooting black people for sport in the street. And he says, okay, so in Baltimore, where you had, a, you know, a, the, half the black officers that arrested Freddie Gray were black. There's a black, you know, shift commander or whatever, a black chief of police a black mayor with a black attorney general and a black president and majority of the city council were black and they're all democrats like what's happening here 
Like if, if it's racism, how did, how did all of these people, black people who are in positions of power end up, you know, perpetrating or perpetuating this racism in the police? And, you know, they're responsible. Well, then what is it? He's like, well, it's everything to do with culture. Go back to Tommy, so- Tommy Sotomayor. It's this embrace of drug culture, embrace of violence, and embrace of, you know, uh, of prison culture, fatherless homes, etc., etc. Take your pick. There's a whole bunch of different opinions about this. And one of the ones that's getting flogged a lot is this white male patriarchy that is oppressing all the women and all the people of color all of the the colored people and it's it's wearing thin right it's it's really wearing thin and in some sense a lot of the mainstream narratives are really wearing thin that uh well republicans are racist and uh they hate women and Democrats are, are for women and minorities, but those Republicans aren't. And if you are uh, if you're a conservative, you must be a racist, and you must be a misogynist, and you hate women. No, like I I believe in free market economies and you know constitutional rights. Like you put those two together, if that makes me a conservative, I I guess um, I don't I don't hate minorities. And I'm I'm willing to be sympathetic to, you know, claims of racism, uh, but we have to be honest about it. And there's a lot of dishonesty about a lot of the the you know there's statistics that get thrown around as well as anecdotes. Those don't help the cause of equality. Those don't help us to address flaws in our policing systems or in politics and government that kind of thing. And we we have to be honest about these things and what i've seen basically from you know from piecing together various pieces of information from some of these voices i'm talking about is that you know black lives matter is kind of like on a shrinking iceberg of factualness you know michael brown didn't go down with the hands up don't shoot thing uh freddie gray again a criminal he was armed he ran away and then he was an accidental death they haven't actually prosecuted any of those officers you have this case like in Milwaukee where people, black people started rioting and there's video of them saying like, oh, there's a white guy, you know, beat the shit out of him. After a black officer shot a black guy for pointing a gun at the officer. You know, I'm starting to run out of sympathy here. Uh, starting to, it's starting to not look like it's this, you know, KKK police just shooting people. It, it seems to always boil down to some basic mistakes maybe on the part of the officer on the part of the the victim sometimes they were criminals in the process of committing a crime these things can't we can't burn cities down ever and assume that there's things happening that aren't happening anyways ben shapiro there are just videos of him zinging people and burning people in debates and it's it's very fun to watch if you like debates like i do uh, moving down. Here we go. Here's a here's a white guy. I think maybe he might be Hispanic. I thought he maybe he's part. Anyway, Chris Reagan, like as in pew pew Reagan. Uh, he's a, a skinny, bespectacled white guy, similar to myself, but he's a proponent of free speech. And you know, on YouTube, he's a YouTube guy. He does his channel, and he he talks about video games and things. But he um uh he he's one of these guys that just sort of uses free speech for comedic purposes and stuff but then when 
he gets backlash about it, then it becomes a little more intellectual, right? It becomes that free speech is an extension of free thought and you need to have these things in place in order to have a functioning society and you have to keep explaining this to people over and over again. Even hate speech? Yes, even hate speech. I'm sorry. Uh, but he's he's like a funny guy. He's entertaining to watch. He recently did one where YouTube changed their community guidelines or whatever to include a bunch of really vague notions of like, you can't pick on another YouTube person. You can't show people drinking or doing drugs. You can't uh, say you can't say things that might be racial, etc. It's a bunch of really vague nonsense. That's really just it allows them to keep your video up, but they can demonetize it. So you put up content if it's questionable in any way. If anybody, any user anywhere flags it, boom, demonetized. So you're not going to be getting ad revenue from it. So. This is now a new, you know, divisive little little tactic in the culture war of robbing these content creators of their of their income that they make because they say a curse word and you don't like that, or they say something that you think or you say is racist, and then boom, you decontent them or de demonetize their video. This is people are saying it's going to be the death of YouTube. It's really not, but it's time for there to be a YouTube alternative. Uh, other than like Vimeo or something, and this is this is all gonna happen though. This is the thing is that it keeps moving this way because this is what people want. People want all this open discourse. They want free access to information, and they don't they don't want to have their opinions you know bubble. They don't want to have opinions bubble wrapped. I don't need you to chew my food for me. Just let content creators create and let audiences consume it. Fuck, it's not hard. So here we go, moving down the list. Here's another uh, Here's another interesting one. Black Pigeon Speaks. And this guy goes deep. Uh, it's kind of like a Gavin McInnes sort of thing. It's like Western chauvinism a bit, and it's anti-immigration. There's like the race realism stuff in there, and he's very unapologetic. And in some cases, some of these people... Black Pigeon Speaks, obviously, you know, a lot of these people. These aren't their real names, uh... Because if you had your real name up and you said some of these inflammatory things, you know that people would come after you, come after your job, threaten you, this kind of thing. If you're saying these inflammatory things, and I guess this is to be expected. I guess it's, it's understandable that people do that. But this is where we are, where if, you're, if you are saying things that are factual, but they're inconvenient, that doesn't mean you are wrong, and it doesn't mean you should have to hide but if you are wrong, then you're a troll and you're, you know, you're hiding your identity as opposed to trying to remain anonymous because it's inconvenient. Do you see that dichotomy there? So Black Pigeon Speaks, again, kind of goes deep, a little inflammatory. Uh, I leave it to you to decide on him. So here's another one that is another very uh he's a kind of intense voice it's uh he's atheist rue or atheism is unstoppable is his youtube channel and he's had issues of people getting his videos flagged as being racist and getting him taken down and all these kinds of things and he um he his videos are fairly simple they're fairly straightforward but the topics and things he goes into he breaks down news events he breaks down viral videos and things that get put out there and then couches them in a context of you know oftentimes it's that things are are pieces of media and everything have become anti-white or anti-male 
uh, anti-Westernism, uh, anti even in some sense it's like they're anti-liberal values while they're using liberal values to communicate their view. So it's, you know, kind of crazy. But he says inflammatory things as well. He's another guy who's kind of one of these, he's a field... Eh, not a colonel. He's not. He's not ranked as high as like a Dave Rubin in terms of viewership, and I think below. You know, kind of have a good sliding scale going on here, as far as viewership is concerned. But atheism is unstoppable. He can be funny to listen to, and he sometimes just nails it. Like he just nails exactly what's wrong with an argument, and he dissects claims of white racism and uh, you know microaggressions and all this stuff. Again, that, that psychic thing that everybody seems to suddenly be so good at. Anyway, moving along. Here's another woman, a lady, Christina Hoff Summers. Uh, she runs a channel, The Factual Feminist, and she's kind of, I think she's dismantling third wave feminism as well and kind of dissecting the statistics behind things like rape culture and this uh, gender wage gap and pointing out that things are not so, it's not... W that women aren't being oppressed, at least in the ways that you think they are, at least not in the Western world, right? We allow women to vote. Uh, like Women can vote. They can read. They, they graduate from college, I think, at higher rates than men do. The wage gap is merely a phenomenon of general career choices that women make, as well as the a tendency that women will tend to take more sick time. Women will tend to not ask for raises as often. Women will tend to take time off, more time off to raise children, which is a good thing, right? They should do that. They should be bearing healthy children in a safe environment and then birthing children and caring for children. It's not that they have to have to. It's that they kind of should. Like you, they, That is a biological imperative to do that. Uh, it's how we make a new generation. <laughs> Anyways... She is a very well-spoken lady. She's an actual. She's an actual academic. You know, this isn't just a bunch of YouTube shit posters who just babble nonsense like myself. They, uh, you know, some of them are actual intellectuals and they are actual professionals in various fields. And we'll get to get to another one here in a minute. So, Christina Hoff Summers. Uh, she's known as Based Mom because she's just kind of awesome and she takes down some of these nonsensical concepts her uh, christina hoff summers milo yiannopoulos and stephen crowder all did a talk at a at i forget what college it was but they did a, a whole presentation about you know intellectual diversity and all these kinds of things and they kind of they they got yelled at from the audience and everything but they got their point across right they got their point across and it was refreshing to see because they don't necessarily agree with each other about everything but again all shooting the same direction boom i guess we're allies at least for the moment you know and that's part of what i'm talking about it's uh going with whatever the most important value is at any given time click up with people who are shooting the same direction but don't be afraid to you know turn your weapons back on them when it's time right don't be afraid to start picking at their uh you know their inconsistencies or their lapses in logic right and they can pick on yours right it's a, it's a bit of a free-for-all but we have loose loose uh you know allegiances all right kyle you're just going on and on rambling i know i know stick with me we're almost there okay we're almost there so here's another guy who chose to remain uh, uh sort of anonymous the armored skeptic 
armored skeptic is an atheist and he you know does atheist uh, perspectives on various videos and he breaks down christian videos and things and explains why they're nonsense i'm kind of i feel like like i I kind of know all the atheism arguments and I know what a lot of the major flaws are with most theological arguments and I don't list, I don't watch a lot of this content anymore because it's generally repeating the same things over and over. But again, Armored Skeptic then gets drawn into and you know, Dave Rubin found this out, Sam Harris found this out, Bill Maher found this out that if you criticize Islam, all of a sudden the strangest thing happens, these regressive leftist types you will have white Western, you know, non-Muslim women, feminists, social justice warrior types, calling you racist because you point out a sort of, maybe you point out a, an inconvenient passage from the Quran and you go, ugh, that's, ugh, that's in there. And, it, you know, it says that you should throw homosexuals from high places. And then ISIS is in Syria throwing homosexuals off high places. And then you have feminists and stuff who will say that you're just being xenophobic. You're just being racist. You're, you're, you just hate Arabs. Um, no, I don't. I, I, I don't want them to throw homosexuals off buildings. And if that's part of their religious practices, then maybe if they come here, they might kill homosexuals here who are my fellow citizens. And But that would never happen, right? Like maybe in a nightclub where somebody kills like 50 of them? You know, um, and in the words of Gavin McInnes, he said this on his show, uh, a Muslim gunned down 49 homosexuals. I don't have to untangle shit. It's not complex. It's not it's not really that complicated. It, it is fairly straightforward when you actually understand some of these texts and things. Anyways, you find yourself with, again, strange bedfellows and strange enemies. You would think you would think Western feminists would be opposed to the cloistering of women in the Muslim world, but it just becomes, well, that's their choice, and you can't tell me how to dress. I'm not telling you how to dress. I'm saying that it's not their free choice, that they're being oppressed into that, and that women are unequally represented and under Sharia law. You have to have, like, multiple witnesses to a rape. If you're, like, you have to have, you know, multiple women against one man. You have to have uh, you know, multiple witnesses to your rape to prosecute a man for rape. Like, how does that happen? <laughs> like, how does that work out? Anyways, rambling, sorry. Armored Skeptic, another guy, kind of does some, you know, the little uh, light animation and stuff on his videos. Uh, you know, he's a, he's another voice out there. He's another little uh, little battle tank plowing through the through the uh, the battlefield there. Now we're getting down here. We're getting down to maybe fewer viewers, maybe less known. But some of these guys, um, like Gad Sad, Gad Sad, that's his name, Gad Sad, G-A-D-S-A-A-D. He's a Lebanese Canadian immigrant. Uh, he's a bit chubby, but I hear he's been working on that and he's been losing weight. I think he was into martial arts and stuff, but he is an evolutionary psychologist for, at uh, Concordia University. So he knows... He, he at least understands how your biology affects your psychology and then how it's used in like marketing and stuff and in communicating maybe philosophical ideas, right? How you present information can be as important as what you're presenting in its ability to be absorbed and be spread. He's been a guest on Joe Rogan's show a couple times. He's been on the Rubin Report and he's one of these, he, he's just, he's like a funny guy. He's 
he's just sort of he's comfortable with who he is and he's uh he's another one of these guys who falls outside of the identity politics arenas because he's an immigrant and he's a brown guy and he's jewish and he's middle eastern and he's overweight and he's used this when people are being completely irrational and saying that he's a hate monger he's like well how can i hate people i'm just a I'm just a chubby, I'm an overweight Jewish guy from the Middle East, and I'm an immigrant. And then people go, oh, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know. I thought that you were a white guy or something. Like, what the hell does it matter? Like, what he's saying is accurate. How does his, you know, minority status or any of these, like, identity politics, you know, demographics apply at all? It's just truth. So he's he's another refreshing voice, and he's uh, he's been pretty consistent, I think. He does regular videos frequently and he he talks to some of these other people he talks to milo yiannopoulos he talks to um he talks to sargon of akkad they they do interviews i think he's done one with sam harris etc and he's just a another one of these another little he's an academic he's very consistent he's he's humor he's humorful he humorous humorful he's funny and so the result is that you have this kind of voice of reason again, like a Christina Hoff Summers, right? A, a voice of reason in this often sort of childish and maybe stand-up comic-ridden <laughs> uh, battlefield where people say offensive things to be offensive. They say inflammatory things just to offend people. They troll. And then you have an academic who says, no, let's, let's dial this back. Let's keep some humor but let's move forward and let's lay these things out logically and the result is boom you get a gad sad or a christina hoff summers who have a sense of humor they're a real person but they're able to kind of stay on topic and we need them as well because we can't just be a whole bunch of you know barbarians out there just trolling and you know mudslinging online and in you know message boards and everything we can't just we can't do that we need to be a little bit more measured i think uh, but maybe that's part of the culture war and I'm wrong. And in which case, you know, you're going to be like, you're wrong. Fuck you. No, fuck you. Anyways, moving along, moving along down the list. Here's another guy who's, you know, approaching more my neighborhood of, of the battlefield, right? Like I'm just the one little tiny guy in the huge field strewn with bombers and battle mechs and giant tanks and fortresses and everything else. And no one's, no one sees me. I'm basically invisible. You got a guy like Autopsy 87. Autopsy 87 is a sort of, uh, he's a cheeky dude. Uh, I think he lives down southwest Arizona or New Mexico or something. And he's another dude who just kind of consistently puts out his videos, sort of like an American Sargon of Akkad a little bit. He takes uh, certain, you know, other YouTube videos and then breaks down why this person is wrong about history or statistics or whatever. And he does it in a, a cheeky sometimes offensive way but uh he's another guy good guy to listen to and uh you know again another sort of startup guy you know he's he's starting starting small but he's uh got maybe you know thousands of youtube subscribers right so again you don't have to be joe rogan to weigh in on these things and maybe catch ears and that's exactly what this specific podcast episode is which is you know fits broader with the kyle style podcast i'm trying to reach whoever I can and if I'm articulating well not saying um too fucking much and I'm not saying completely erroneous nonsense people will go oh hey this guy's making sense and then they'll get like hey I've listened to this podcast you should you should listen to this and that then isn't the mainstream media mainstream media is uh is uh you know 
programmed. It's programming, you know. Bill O'Reilly and then Hannity's on and then it's, you know, reruns of the Simpsons or whatever. This is how this is how main this is how most people consumed media uh, and news especially for a long time. This is how we've consumed culture. It doesn't work that way anymore. Now you have I'm going to use a strange example, but uh, uh, this show Stranger Things, right? Stranger Things is the show that was on Netflix. It was a really great show, had a few little plot holes here and there, but overall the whole style was cool. It was modeled kind of after like those uh, 80s kids adventure movies like Goonies or The Explorers where some young kids get involved in a mystery and there's a monster and there's interdimensional gateways and there's a secret government lab and it gets kind of dark and sinister and they're trying to save their friend who you know get vanished into the upside down and you got little kids saying shit and you know they there's it, they felt like real kids in real life this show would like never have been made on network television it, it took netflix to make this show similar to like a house of cards or uh, you know, Breaking Bad was kind of this anomaly. They really pushed the envelope as far as content you normally see on television. Walking Dead, eh, also a little bit. But you used to have to go to something like an HBO or a Showtime to get this content. And the thing is, is that they're interviewing the cast of uh, Stranger Things, these kids, on Jimmy Fallon's show, um, uh, on the, the Tonight Show. So they're now famous from Netflix enough that they are guests on a major network <laughs> uh, talk show, uh, evening show, because more people are watching Netflix than are watching the mainstream news, right? It's this tipping point, and it's, it's, it seems fascinating that this is happening. Um, but where was I going with this? This, this cultural struggle, okay. Oh, yeah, I want to do another little shout-out to... Uh, there's this really really cute Finnish girl uh, Tina Week probably fucking her name up but she has a YouTube channel as well I'll include some links she's just another kind of person just another person like myself not necessarily highly qualified maybe academically or anything but she just makes content about how things as she sees them and she's spoken out against uh, Islamization of Europe against EU's uh, immigration policies Germany bullying other EU countries and I think she's gotten some hate as well but you also have um, <clears throat> but you also have uh, the fact that uh, in, in a lot of cases you can't stop people from speaking they'll stop themselves when they run out of gas which I'm about to do but uh, they'll stop speaking when they run out of gas or they just lose interest, I guess, in it. But you have uh, everybody, you, anybody can make a YouTube channel. Anybody can, you know, open a SoundCloud account and you get, I don't know, a couple hours of free content. I forget how many you get. But you could just keep rotating your episodes until, you know, for free and have listeners and get, get subscribers to your channel. It, all it takes is a microphone. You don't even have to be... It doesn't even have to be that good uh, to get listeners. Uh, my audio mastering is shit. And my even my writing is shit. Sometimes my you know rants get completely out of control. Still get listeners. Still getting 50, 100 listeners uh, a week. Sometimes more. Sometimes I get hundreds. It's... Uh, everybody can have a voice, but it's about what you're saying. Now, here's the thing. I, I picked on the bystanders a little bit. The uh, sort of conscientious objectors... These are people who are either afraid of being wrong, right? Or 
they just don't know who's right. And that's fair. I'm willing, that's that's fair enough, right? There, some of these com- concepts and things can get really complicated and you get heavily invested people presenting different positions on them and it becomes confusing. Uh, free market capitalism, does that mean companies dump toxic waste in the lake? Yeah, kind of. Does that mean I can come up with an idea like a car and then I can make the car and then change the way that people live their lives? Yes, it also means that. Communism, does that mean, you know, gulags and, and you know, firing squads and censorship? Yeah, in some sense, yes, it does. Uh, does it mean the workers own the means of production and we can, you know, choose our own destiny as the creators of goods? rather than being owned by, uh, you know, property owners who own all of the things and they have leverage over us at all times and they control and corrupt the political process and everything else. Yeah, I guess, in theory. But again, these things get really, really complex when you get right down to it. And sometimes even I'm just kind of befuddled. I don't necessarily know what to do, right? But you have to start somewhere. Sometimes where you need to start is in maybe in the Black Lives Matter movement. You start with white people are evil and racist and their racist police are shooting black people for sport. And then one person on one message board says, well, I saw this video by this guy and he broke down how that's really not statistically true. And when you're done calling that person a racist, maybe you actually click on the video and you watch it and it's convincing. And now you've had your mind changed because someone was participating. There was another another soldier out there like me just fired one shot. They fired the ammo they got in in pursuit of truth and righteousness and uh and an action. You know, actual action, not not reaction, not burning a city down, but you know, changing people's minds and getting people to think differently. And if you get people to think differently, then they'll act differently. And then maybe that's where change comes from, right? Change comes from within. We, we've got a, like I picked on the bystanders. I get it. You want to hide in the foxhole? Sometimes I hide in the foxhole. Some people just want to consume media from these, you know, these online sources. Um, they just want pictures of cats. They just want to watch videos about uh, how to put on makeup or, you know, cars drag racing or whatever. And that, and that, in some sense, that's also what they're for. But that's, that's like a low-level a front in the culture war, right? Is what, what you know, movie reviews. Was this movie good? Was this movie bad? I, with the, in the case of this new Ghostbusters movie, that's part of why Miley Yiannopoulos got kicked off of Twitter because he did a, a shitty review of the Ghostbusters movie because apparently it's not very good. People got called, the director of the movie was on Twitter calling people, you know, sexist and racist and stuff because they didn't like the new Ghostbusters movie guess what? You shouldn't have to insult your audience to defend your work. It's either good or it's not, right? Uh, Ostensibly, Saving Private Ryan was anti-German. They killed a lot of Germans in that movie. Uh, I didn't hear Germans complaining about how insensitive it was to the German position. It was war, and that's what happened, okay? Ghostbusters, the film, apparently isn't very entertaining, and you shouldn't insult the audience because you made a bad movie, right? It just, it's kind of how it is. So we have, again, these fronts. The, these fronts are, aren't always politics. It's not always 
Trump versus Hillary Clinton. It's not always, uh, you know, desegregating schools. It's what movies are made and why. Uh, the recent one, Matt Damon is in this Great Wall of China movie, right? And they're defending the Great Wall of China. And then here's Matt Damon. And people were complaining that, uh, you know, Asian people were, I guess, specifically Chinese people. It should be not just East Asians, but uh, Chinese, some actress or something was complaining that, you know, Matt Damon doesn't look like me. So I don't understand why he's in a movie about China. Okay. Uh, it's called an audience proxy. Uh, maybe in Chinese markets, they like Matt Damon. Maybe they think he's a good actor, right? Maybe that's what they wanted to see. And maybe in a movie where there are dragons attacking the Great Wall of China and they imply that that's why they built the wall, uh, that's not why they built the Great Wall of China. They built the Great Wall of China to keep out the Mongols. And my understanding is that it didn't work. So... You're talking about a fanciful film where dragons attack the Great Wall of China and your biggest gripe is... You mean, you're telling me that the Mongols attacking isn't an interesting enough story? We gotta add dragons? And it looked like there were flying people and all this shit? Matt Damon being in the movie and maybe being the hero of the movie is one of the least historically factual problems with this movie and your identity politics are showing, okay? It's getting ridiculous okay it's getting sad you have let me let me rant for a minute here you've got this idea and this is this is part of i've absorbed some of this from some of these voices that i've i've given you the names to you have this idea that we're all the same okay we're all the same and we're all equal and then you have people talk about how we need diversity okay think about that we're all the same, but we need diversity. But we're all the same, but we need diversity. Um, the These ideas start to conflict and they start to contradict themselves, okay? What you're saying is you shouldn't judge people by the color of their skin. Okay, fair enough. And then you have, like, at Black Lives Matter protests, you had white people on their side saying, yes, Black Lives Matter and there's pictures, you know, there's an old man and they got hit in the face with a brick and he's wearing a Black Lives Matter shirt. He's an old white guy because he was there, right? So the this identity politics thing doesn't necessarily work in real life. People's allegiances and things don't necessarily play out this way, right? And you get into a point where the people are calling for, well, why can't James Bond be a black guy? Well, I, I guess he can be a black guy. Why does James Bond need to be a black guy? I mean, like, and, and that, was, that was an interesting one. It was sort of specifically that. I mean, they someone said, well, John Cho, he's like, a, you know, a Korean guy or whatever. He could do it. So then you'd have an Asian, you know, uh, James Bond. Well, why not a Native American James Bond? I mean, why not a Indian, like, uh, James Bond? Why not an Australian Aboriginal James Bond, right? Like, why, why, why can't James Bond be Irish? You know, whatever. Like, why, why does it need to be switched around? And here's an idea: instead of playing identity politics with an existing character, uh, why don't you make a new character that's more interesting than James Bond? Oh, because that's hard. It's harder to play identity politics and create an entirely new character, a new franchise. We just want to make Jason Bourne a black guy, even though it is Matt Damon. 
right? Matt Damon is Jason Bourne. We want to make Jason Bourne a black guy now because that would be more diverse. Okay. It's, it's very, to me, it's very childish and it's very lazy and it's very, it's token, right? You put the token black figure as, uh, you know, we replaced James Bond, we replaced Superman and now Superman is black. Okay. It doesn't change Superman being a boring character. Um, and that doesn't really help black Americans. So I, I'm like, I, I don't understand what the identity politics are supposed to be doing, especially in terms of media and stuff. And again, I know I'm rambling and you're like, why are you talking about movies now? And make, and why do you hate black people? And want to keep them out of movies. Look, we are at this point where if you say this new Ghostbusters movie looks dumb, people think that you are sexist and you hate women. The movie looked dumb. It didn't look funny. You know what movie was funny? Bridesmaids. Bridesmaids. All women. Funny. Okay? Funny movie. Uh, you know what was a good movie? Pitch Perfect. Lots of girls. Almost all female cast, right? There's the guy cast, whatever, but the almost all female cast. Funny. There was good stuff in there. You know who's funny? Ariel Rebel, the, the, the fat girl. Uh, you know, she's... I don't mean to fat shame, but she's, she's a big fat girl, and she knows it. She's funny. Uh, Melissa McCarthy was in the Ghostbusters movie. She can be funny. Kristen Wiig can be funny. Women can be funny. You know, they they really can be. Uh, these movies just aren't funny, though. Not Pitch Perfect and other ones, but like Ghostbusters is not funny. I don't want to see that. It didn't look interesting. And then you're not allowed to say that, and you can get kicked off of Twitter for doing a review that's negative. You know, fuck you. It, it's and it's patronizing too. Let me put it this way. This is this is sort of a tired argument at this point, but let me rant just another minute. Hear me out. Apparently, um, if I have black friends, that is somehow not an indication that I'm not racist. I get it that there was probably a time where someone would say, uh, well, I can't be racist. I have a black friend. Okay, I get, I understand that. But if I have like, multiple black friends that I've met in multiple maybe jobs and then and then they, then they move uh, they move along and then they end up all over the country like where why how why can't I have black friends right like why can't I I can point to the fact that I have friends of all races and maybe dated interracially look I I've, I really am not trying to have a racist infusion into my thought processes because it's just overly complicated and you know it would make you ignore the qualities that people have which seems to have been the lesson of the latter half of the 20th century it worked i get it right people uh think that that is racist that you point to having you know minority friends or whatever and that that then is you just trying to you know wipe away your your racism it's so fucking condescending like i i just have i just pretended to make friends with my my black friends or asian friends because i just pretended to so that i could have a, an excuse to point to and say or i could have an out and say oh no but i you know there there's my my black friend see i'm not racist so fucking condescending and it just it ignores the reality that's actually happening right a lot of this like race baiting stuff ignores the reality of the real relationships people have in real life you know in real life you know you talk to you have a black bus driver and you just talk to him and he just talks to you and you're just dudes talking 
and like race is just not really in it you you walk around and you you see people just on the bus you walk around and you see people just downtown you might see you might see some black kids trying to sell their hip-hop cds i'm saying you don't see a lot of white kids doing that um is that racist to notice? I don't know. I noticed it in, in many major cities I've been to. You know, there's always some black kids selling CDs. That's entrepreneurial. Okay, I, it's a little annoying, but whatever. Um, they're just doing their thing, and people are just doing their thing. Where these racial tensions? Like, I don't, I don't know where those really come from. Some people say it's just kind of a giant media conspiracy. All right? Maybe it's the city you live in, right? Maybe my city, maybe I live in Seattle. Maybe it's just, that's just how it is here. It's a little more chill. I don't know. But what I'm saying is the reality isn't the way that it's being portrayed by a lot of this like social justice warrior types and everything. That there's this domineering, patriarchal, male, white male thing. And, and we're just hunting, we're raping women left and right. And we, and we won't let them get an abortion afterwards. And... And we're just gunning down Negroes in the streets, you know, because we just can't help ourselves. We just have a racial uh, predilection to to just shooting black people. We just can't stop ourselves, you know. It's just offensive. And again, another part of it, again, like I mentioned, is it's the psychic thing. That everything is a dog whistle. A dog whistle is this idea that uh, you can speak in code. This whole podcast has been me speaking in code. Wink, wink to all my other white uh white supremacist you know followers and everything and there's just all this racial stuff in it that are secret code words you didn't know about as we continue to plan for the day when we purge america of all of the non-whites you know it's it's really it's really coming we're really getting the plan fleshed out you know uh we're on the email list as uh, atheism's unstoppable as has called it you're not on the email list if you're black or something you're not on it only the pure whites are really on the list and we're really getting the plan together so you better be ready for the giant racial purge of the united states and the funny thing is is that there are people who really think this okay they really think that this is what quote unquote all white people want or that this is what white people are trying to do that we the you know, black lives matter is condescending uh, they claim to know that you, it's the psychic thing, that you don't think black lives matter and that they are now going to tell you that black lives matter because apparently you don't already know. It's, it's, it's like fucking offensive. They, they don't necessarily even realize that it's offensive. It's condescendingly stupid. And then they wonder why people say, yeah, all lives matter. And then they get offended about that. And it, it just, it's it's just offensive like the, it's just offensively stupid and they need to stop with the with that i'm not saying stop with the black lives matter movement per se but just yeah think about how this looks and how you're being perceived anyways um yeah i guess i'm all out of spit i wore my voice out we went like two hours and 15 minutes this is crazy Get out there in the cult. Get out there in the culture war. Right. Start firing some shots. Uh, try to avoid friendly fire. It happens. Um, you know. Get on social media platforms and don't just be an observer. Just you know, confront people about these things that they assume are true and take them to task about it. But you know, of course, research what you're talking about beforehand so you don't hurt the cause of truth or liberty or whatever. 
um, you know, view some of this content and kind of crack your crack your paradigms open a little bit. Uh, you know, put some space between you and maybe some of your your usual voices and your usual views, and you might find that you get your opinions changed. And that's kind of what a big part of it all is, right? So, thanks for listening to this episode of the Kyle Style Podcast in the trenches of the culture war. I will see you on the beach. And uh, I will hopefully see you over at uh, redbubble.com forward slash people forward slash Kyle Style Design. And you'll be purchasing some of my beautiful artwork on pieces of merchandise that you can include in your life in active, fun ways. And you can constantly beam out memes of, you know, of in the culture war. You know, people will see your phone case and that will be another little, uh, it's like a little radioactive uh, uh, piece of metal in the culture war and it will infect other people around you and it will you know help move culture in a direction that needs to go in might be a bit grandiose but you know we only know there's only one only one way to find out moving forward uh oh yeah otherwise go to the gofundme page throw me a dollar i just talked for two hours and 15 minutes my voice is blown out uh you know talk is cheap Throw me a dollar and I'll continue to bring you more refreshing uh, content for your ear holes. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.